The hall of Martyr Marie was quiet, with the exception of the evening wind whipping around the cold stone walls. The silence was eerie. For most cathedrals, it is expected that there is some sort of silence or somberness around the building. But for the past 13 years, that had not been the case for this particular sanctuary. Much to the dismay of the many priests and altar attendants, the most unsettled by the silence were the bishop's faithful attendants who were not serving this evening. They stood outside the large doors, waiting for their role tonight, dreading their role tonight. Ages ago, stones that hold great power were discovered. With them, monolithic constructions of incredible abilities were built. To control a monolith is to hold unparalleled power, or so it is said. The Church of Deep Stone and the Mages Consortium have shared a treaty for the past 50 years, but have shared in their use of the stones for centuries. I could not tell you the whole of the history that has unfolded. The stories we do know are contained in what is called the Stone Singer Chronicles. Stones Within Stones Bishop Granite's latest party was more subdued than usual. The guests consisted of a normal smattering of holy men, soldiers, mages, merchants, highly regarded criminals, even a baker was present. The table represented Granite's highest connections. Quiet tonight, Granite said, taking a sip of his wine. The only sounds to be heard were those of forks and knives against plates, the scurrying of servants bringing drinks and taking dishes, and an occasional glass being poured. It's simply enjoying your hospitality, Bishop, a guest said, smiling weakly. Ah, of course. Well, if the amount of silence is an indicator of the amount of enjoyment, then I have done my job well. There were half-hearted murmurs of agreement. Bishop Granite frowned. The quiet resumed. Its cause seemed to be that everyone was sitting. It was unsettling that everyone was sitting. No tales of Granite's raucous functions ever involved anything even close to a seated dinner. The lack of constant noise and movement made attendees skittish, likely because the absence of the normal distractions left room for them to consider the man they were associating with. His normal parties were such an affront to every sense that there was no ability for such reflections. Bishop Granite was best known for two things, his lavish parties and his names. To understand this, you must first understand the role of bishop. It's useless. On paper, you rule multiple kingdoms, but in reality, you're a figurehead. The Church of Deep Stone only ever has three active bishops. Each rules over one of the Great Walls. 
lake wall, mountain wall, or ocean wall. Granite is the bishop of lake wall. Back in Odros, the church referred to the walls as their precious treasures in a far land, the fruits of years of conquest. The great walls were completely unlike the sillages, towns, and cities that the church controlled outside of Odros. They were expansive, a baffling size. Each wall contained multiple kingdoms inside, called the duchies. The Church of Deepstone installed the position of bishop as a way to maintain some semblance of control over these great walls. But they had quickly learned that maintaining entire kingdoms so far away from Odras proved difficult. So instead, they let the duchies govern themselves, write their own laws, form their own armies, and fight amongst themselves. It was the fighting that made it so hands-off. If the duchies had ever united, they probably would have taken control before Odras could react, but so far, there had been no attempts at unity. Because the role of bishop was a vestigial part of the church, nigh useless, the higher-ups filled it by choosing which member they wanted to send as far away as possible, most likely never to return. It is unclear if Granite understood this when he was offered the position. Rumors say that he walked around the holy halls with the air of someone who thought they'd been given a kingdom. Although the bishops have no power, they are still seen as an official and can become adored by the public nonetheless. For Granite, however, within months of taking over, the Walled War broke out, a bloody affair between two of the duchies lasting three years. Bishop Granite became mysteriously ill as war began and made no public appearances for the duration of the carnage. At the war's end, he miraculously recovered. In the following years, it became apparent that during his illness, he had actually been hard at work. Crime Lord wasn't the right word, though he had the ruthlessness, he lacked patience and tenacity. Mastermind also didn't fit. The most basic plotting seemed to confuse him. He was best described by one of his famous monikers, one he was often called behind his back. Five hundred fingers. Someone unaware of the man may assume that the name was to do with his stealing and thieving. This was not the case. He got it because he has so many of his fat fingers and so many pies. He lives in Hamlet Corpica, a small tract of land that sits outside the jurisdiction of the duchies, leaving him to his own devices. Hamlet Corpica consists of a collection of stone buildings nestled into a steep, spiraling hill. Atop the hill sits the crown jewel, the Hall of Martyr Marie, a cathedral devoted to the first bishop of Lakewall and house of the altar. Bishop Granite uses it as his personal party hall and house of debauchery. Early during his seizure of power, laziness took hold and he abandoned any notion of meeting one-on-one -on -one with his many cohorts. He instead favored bringing as many people together at once for large parties. During the party, he could cajole about the room, taking care of his discussions, plotting, and villainy in between merrymaking. He would walk about the room, trying to look regal and nodding to the various guests. Greetings, Bishop Granite. May the Lord of Deepstone bless you, says a king. Bishop Granite, at your service, says a general. Ah, Bishop Granite, good to see you, says the spy. As soon as he has passed... They all have different things to say amongst themselves. The parties were wild and contained such a strange array of people that they became infamous even among the common folk. 
More business was done at these parties than any council chambers in Lakewall. They were lavish, gaudy, drunken, and ridiculous. And Bishop Grennan loved them. His names are often discussed in whispers, though never join the parties. Fingers is one. The other is his proper name. Proper is not even the right word for it. There's only one known practice in the church where someone's name is changed, and it's reserved for the highest office, the Seydun. No other person in the history of the church had ever changed their name upon taking office. The slates even checked. So why was it that when priest Keller Kun was given the position of bishop, he changed his name? There was a small rumor that it was because he was making a point, saying that he was himself like a Seydun, that he was the head of whatever it was he was the head of. This rumor let him have a sort of legend about him, perhaps. This potentially aided his ascent to power, helping mask his obvious cowardice. But there was an even bigger rumor. He was too stupid to understand. The truth is probably something in between, but it didn't matter because it worked to the bishop's advantage either way. During his 13 years in the position, people have tried to disassemble his little empire of stupidity. Out of disdain for the terrible man and fear that if he should ever have even an ounce of clear thought, he could do real harm. If any had succeeded, he would have never discovered the church archives in Lakewall. Archives he had access to, and he never would have learned why the church keeps their altar high on a hill and their books deep underground. Since the treaties between the Mages Consortium and the Church of Deepstone, Granite said, a great many things have changed. Food has never been so abundant, lives never been so happy, and innovation never been so, well, innovative. That got him a small chuckle. He smirked. Let us toast the newfound peace between the Church and the Consortium. The holy men and the wise men. He stood up from his seat at the end of the table and raised his glass. The table raised their glasses with him and they drank. He had pulled out all the stops for this party, going into the deepest cellars and finding the best wines. Wines so incredibly expensive that Father Parista, a priest who had traveled between multiple missions in the wild, could not even bring himself to drink it. And of course, let us not forget the greatest abundance of all afforded by this peace. Granite paused and licked his lips. Power. But what brings about this power? Is it the stones? We call them by different names, us in the consortium. We call them by different names, but it's all the same thing. We have our altars, the consortium, your configurations, but they both bring us power. Elsus, an elderly mage, scoffed. An altar and a configuration are about the same as an ocean and a painting of an ocean, she mumbled. Elsus was a common topic of discussion amongst partygoers, namely, how does someone who seems to loathe such a creature as the bishop 
end up being one of his accomplices. Granite shrugged. Perhaps my wise report, to you or I, but to the common people, appearances are everything. And they do appear oh so similar. Granite gestured to the back of the room, and the doors to the kitchen opened. Two large cakes were wheeled out. The cakes were half as tall as a person and lavishly decorated. Fruits and nuts coated the frosting on the outside in small clusters that after even a brief glance could be seen as a simulacrum of either a configuration or an altar. Stones within stones. Power incarnate. The configurations or altars were simple enough for Bishop to understand. They both had the same basic concept. The finer points eluded him, but he didn't need the finer points. That's what engineers, attendants, and weavers were for. Both configurations and altars were large stone monoliths with smaller, semi-colorful stones embedded in them in tight clusters. Stones were connected with fine lines of color and clusters connected by larger lines. Different stones allowed different effects on the world. Different clusters allowed different combinations. That was the limit of Granite's understanding. But of course, the bishop continued, circling the table towards the cake. The configurations grant a certain amount of power, but that is only the beginning. Why, I myself was only ever able to bond to a single altar in my youth, but now I find myself the most powerful man in Lakewall. No, there is another piece to this power. A third cake was rolled out. The third cake was dangerously high. The attendants wheeling it went slowly. Unlike the first two, it was plain, having only red frosting. If you speak of political power, Elsis said, swirling the liquids of her untouched wine around in its glass, I think you will find that even the most powerful king, prince, or even bishop will sign away a vast amount of land when faced with the realization that even a mage of the third bond could make the blood boil in his veins. This is true, Elsis, old friend, but which mage would do this? Which mage would have the audacity? Which mage would have the sheer balls? Elsis sat her glass down and said nothing. Granite laughed, continuing to stroll towards the three gaudy desserts. Which mage would be willing to put their precious treaties at risk? There is seemingly a drought of kings having their blood boiled of late, no? Elsa said nothing. Granite smiled. He gestured and the servants sliced into the first two cakes. The cake inside appeared plain but rich. Plates were piled with a sweet dessert and placed on carts to be served. Like this cake, the configurations and altars, they are impressive, true. Granite reached underneath the cart, supporting the colossal cake. The room recoiled as he withdrew a great sword. It was obviously ornamental, but something about seeing the old man, his eyes wild and his jowls wagging as he waved a sword, made everyone cower slightly. But what are they when compared to this? The bishop swung the blade high above his head and caught the top of the cake slicing through the upper half. The sword struck something and there was a tinny clang. Granite lifted the sword again and hacked down. After a few chops, he swung his arm, slicing away the front section of the cake and revealing why he was struggling to cut through such a soft substance. The inside was filled with precious metals and jewels. The table gasped. 
There were murmurs and whispers. A majority of the table got up from their seats and moved closer for a better look. Is this not better? He asked, picking up a large ruby and licking the cake off of it. My friends, you may choose which cake you eat, but know this. Whatever you find in a cake, you may keep. Members of the table were already moving towards the cake. Others hesitantly hung back. Merchants and nobles, people of power and renown, dug their bare hands into the mound, pulling out jewelry and gems, licking the rich, fluffy cake and thick, creamy frosting off. The cake fell over and there was a scramble on the floor. Garments that would cost the average person years of wages became sticky and stained. The room filled with sounds of excited laughter, heated arguments, and a strange sloshing sound as the flesh of the cake was smeared across the stone floor in multiple fevered attempts to collect the treasure. Those that did not join looked on with bafflement, choosing to stay seated and simply watch. Most noticed the bishop eyeing them as he returned to his seat. He made eye contact with Elsis. He grinned and raised his eyebrows. Can your configuration do that? He asked. Elsis said nothing. A fistfight broke out. Arguments reached a crescendo. Granite chortled and clapped his hands as he watched from his seat. When the whole of the cake had been searched, the pastry-covered guests returned to their spots at the table. A great use of the money of your people, Elsis said. All these are my own riches. Well, were my own riches, Bishop retorted. He stood again. People, good people, I call you here for a purpose. I bring you these lessons for a purpose. There are people who would have us believe that the whole of the power in the world is contained by stones within stones that are bound by rules made by cowards. I am here to tell you that is not so. I have found something new. I will not be greedy. I wish to share as I have here today. You cannot overtake the duchies. You cannot overtake the wall, Elsa said. You have tried before and you have failed. Ah, and I do believe you once thought I could not get control over you, Master Mage, but yet here you sit. Bishop paused. His face became serious. This is not an attempt to convince. It is an attempt to inform. I regret to say, you have all already made your decisions. He sat back down and sipped his wine. The guests looked at one another. A priest stood up with a gasp. His eyes were wide and his mouth trembled. He clutched his chest. He took one step and he collapsed. People began to slump over in their chairs. Neighbors checked on their crumpling cohorts, but as more fell, more ran attempting to get out of the room any way possible. A merchant slipped and fell on the remains of the cake, which were still slick across the floor. There was a wet crack and a howl that filled the already chaotic room. Bishop Granite stayed seated, grinning and drinking. His gaze turned to Elsis, who was still seated. She seemed calm and was still swirling her drink in its glass. Elsis' quiet voice was somehow able to cut across the chaos. Well... I may not have the balls, but I do have the audacity. She stood up and raised her hand. Elsis felt the echo of the third configuration, so far away at Eero. 
At this distance, she would have to exert a lot of energy for a good exchange, but she had to. She found the spell she was looking for in her mind and focused on Bishop Granite. Bishop Granite rose suddenly. Nothing happened. Granite walked towards Elsis, who began to back away. She was scared. She touched a different spell, something more malicious. Still nothing. It would seem that your powers are of no effect here. What is this? What have you done? Elsis collapsed. Bishop Granite surveyed the few remaining guests. The chaos had subsided, but it seemed only due to exhaustion. The guests, confused and scared, seemed to try and keep the maximum amount of distance between themselves and Granite. Please, you seek answers. Sit, and they shall be given. Fear not, the worst is done. You have been tried and found worthy. The partygoers, seeing no other options, returned to their seats, stepping over the bodies. In my quest, I require those who know themselves, who enjoy pleasure, and know what must be done to obtain it. Forgive me, my friends, but I have poisoned you all. Do not fear, do not fear. If you were to die, you would have died. The antidote, dear friends was in portions. A portion in my most expensive wines. A portion in my cake filled with gemstones. A portion in my richest meats. Those who found themselves too pious, too proper, too godly to indulge in my generosity, they are of no use to me. Those of you left alive are my confidants in the new world. This is insane! A young priest got up from his seat. Do you think yourself the Lord of Deep Stone? To choose who dies and who does not? But I didn't choose. You did, don't you see? You are your own gods. Sacrilege, the priest said, his teeth gritted. Granite nodded. Two of his attendants appeared behind the priest. It was quick. Another body fell to the floor. Granite gestured and another piece of cake was brought over. He sat and ate as his guest watched on in stunned silence. Finally, a man who worked as a spy master stood up. I, for one, am, am thankful for your generosity, Bishop Granite, he said, bowing. Thank you. The room broke into a weak applause as Granite stood, smiling and seeming to relish it. He knew that even now these people plotted against him. People were already dreaming of his demise. But just like he had gotten to this station, he would continue to rise. He rose and commanded they follow him to the lower floor. Here, he would lay out his plan. And as such, the future of Lake Wall and all surrounding lands. The survivors stepped around the fallen partygoers, people they had drunk and laughed with here many times. The double doors at the back of the room opened, and the attendants, who had not been lucky enough to serve, scuttled in. They began their role for the night and started to clean. Clean cake off the floor, clean overturned drinks from the chaos, and clean up the bodies of the people Granite had chosen as unworthy. 
Thank you for listening. Everything you hear in this show is created by me, Adam Ganong. Every word written, every note played. If the work I am doing here has brought you some joy, some comfort, some entertainment, please consider supporting a solo creator on Patreon. Link to that is in the show notes down below. The Stone Singer Chronicles art is by Peter Bartel. Thank you, Peter. There is a link to his website in the show notes. A special thanks to my wife, Jenna Noor, and my friend, Destructobot. Join the Stonesinger Chronicles Discord to get extra information about the show and officially earn your rank as the Mage of the Third Bond. Again, link to that in the show notes down below. All right, and until next time. <laughs> <laughs>